This is UFO Disclosure Supremacy. So this has been pretty much the greatest hobby ever, and I'm not ready to stop. But this is actually going to be kind of a gratitude episode. And the reason that I'm offering my gratitude is I've had a lot of fantastic opportunities to be interviewed and featured and share space with some really great people like Kristen, Mike, and Lou, and Carl Vibe, and Matt, the Falcon, and Bottled Water, and Christina Gomez. And a lot of really cool, engaged, interested people are showing up and posting on Facebook and asking asking questions and engaging. Guys like John Brousseau, who spontaneously nominated me as a guest to be on the Theory of Everything podcast and share the sonic gravity theory of everything. On the Singularity Lab and on the Unidentified Celebrity Review during Phone Home Day 2. And most recently, I got to share space with Carl Vibe on the Carl Vibe Show, which was really, really fun. And I'll be sharing the last two parts of that conversation by the end of the week. Now, I've only started thinking about UFOs in the last six months, but there are a lot of people who have spent a lot of time and are really into UFOs and have been for a really long time, and now they're starting to see disclosure. They're starting to feel validated after the Navy confirmed that UFOs exist. I suspect that the people who have really been following UFOs for a really long time aren't super satisfied with where things are right now in terms of the government's disclosure, because there are a lot of people who've been trashed and discredited and ridiculed we're talking about the things that the Navy has just said are real. We know the government, the media, and private industry have been spreading misinformation, making sure that anybody who talks about UFOs gets labeled as a crackpot and written off. And I think it pisses people off. And it pisses people off to know that people have lost their careers because they actually told the truth. And there's been deliberate misinformation in the past, and that is a fact. And so now I think people legitly wonder whether... UAP disclosure is really bona fide, or is it just another phase of the misinformation campaign? And there's still a lot of prominent pull-string douchebags that trash people for believing and talking about things like aliens and UFOs. So to show my gratitude to the Sonic Tribe, I'm gonna do a few things that I know you're gonna love. And I talked about how somebody on Twitter sent me a photograph, allegedly, of a UFO component. And that that component is part of the Vag. And if you look at the cover of this podcast episode, that is the component. And I'm going to tell you in part why it's significant, and I'm going to tell you how you can make it yourself. And then I'm going to tell you all. I'm going to demystify how the government runs its contract operations and how, should you choose to do so, you could put yourself in a position to actually be the contractor that the United States of America will be paying to conduct UFO intelligence collection and disclosure. And that is a fact. Because the United States government doesn't really have UFO on the payroll. So that's always going to be something that they end up contracting out. And I'm going to teach you how to find those contracts and apply for them and get them. And then you will have achieved disclosure supremacy. And that too is a fact. Or it will be a fact if you in fact do. You get the idea. So look at the picture on the front of the podcast episode. It looks like some kind of black fabric. And what I think that is, is graphene. Graphene is a substance that was invented in 2014, and it's actually a sheet of carbon that's one atom thick. 
One atom, just one. Now it's only one atom thick, but it's 200 times stronger than steel. It conducts electricity very well, and it also conducts heat very well. But the reason I love it, and everybody in the Sonic Tribe who's listened to the Critical Thinking Supremacy episodes will know that the real reason I love it is because of the hexagonal molecular structure of the graphene sheet. Because there's something about that hexagonal structure of that sheet of graphene that separates right-handed and left-handed electrons in the presence of a magnetic field. And that is a fact. So do you see it? Do you see why there might be a graphene lining inside that craft? Yep, pumping out those left-handed electrons, that's why. And here's a little bonus content. Right now I'm gonna teach you how to make graphene at home. But before you do, just want you to remember that it's one atom thick and it's stronger than steel, which means it's gonna be sharp as shit. So don't drop it and cut your limbs off. In fact, don't even make it, seriously. Nobody needs to win a Darwin Award over this podcast episode. So graphene is pure carbon. So if you want to make a one atom thick sheet of pure carbon, take a plate of metal, metal sheet like nickel, and then you rub a layer of soybean oil on that sheet of nickel and cook it in a furnace for about half an hour. But remember, oil is flammable, so don't catch your furnace on fire. Don't catch yourself on fire. No mercy killing, Smackatilly. And if you're not catching that reference then go check out cooking part two chicken breast insanity so when you take it out of the heat the soybean oil the carbon in the soybean oil will be completely reduced to its most basic atomic carbon and then you rapidly cool it by dunking it in an ice bath and that carbon will freeze and that melted carbon will crystallize and solidify and you will have a sheet of graphene and that is a fact Now, most people have heard that in fiscal year 2022, the federal government has taken a hard look at UFO disclosure. And the House version of UFO disclosure is currently written to dual the Senate's Intelligence Authorization Act because they take much different approaches to dealing with UAPs. So the House of Representatives bill, which is H.R. 4350, directs the Department of Defense to create an office specifically devoted to UAP studies. And then it says when the Secretary of Defense has established the office, the Secretary of Defense is required to disband the UAP task force that was stood up under the Department of the Navy to do essentially the same thing. They just didn't do it quite as well as we hope they'll do it if they make a new office. That's what we're hoping anyway. But the Senate bill, S-2610, just says they want to fund the existing UAP task force to make some reports every once in a while. Now, if the Senate bill goes through, then the Navy is going to continue to have control over the disclosure and the messaging around UAPs. But if the Department of Defense creates an office for the UAP studies, then the office will report directly to the Secretary of Defense, which might have different implications than if it reported to the Secretary of the Navy. And yesterday, I saw an episode of the Singularity Lab, and they were interviewing a very savvy investigative journalist named Ross Colehart. And he's written a book about his investigation and his legit investigative journalism called UFO Mystery in Plain Sight. And if you like UFOs or you're interested in UFOs, you should check it out because this guy doesn't take any shit and he doesn't really put any credit in fringe UFO freaks. He's legit. That is a fact. He doesn't have an agenda and he doesn't want to see a specific outcome. He just wants to get to the bottom of it like a good journalist should. And he's got an audiobook too, which is kind of nice if you don't like looking at words. 
can just orbit in his sonic gravity. But in the words of my 11th grade English teacher who threw me out of class because I was just too dumb for AP English, which I can't hardly blame her because I was autistic and ADHD before they knew what autism and ADHD was in the 80s. But I probably should have known anyway because in the 70s when I was in elementary school, they divided us into three reading groups. There was the gold group, who were the smart kids with lots of potential, that met in the library. There was the silver group, who were just kind of the regular kids, that met in the classroom. And then there was the brown group, and we were just somewhere below the regular kids, potentially speaking. And we met in the basement, so that should have been a clue. But it wasn't, probably because I was in the brown group. But back then, and I have to admit that as a child, I thought about ways to murder the entire gold group so that they would move the silver kids into the library and then we could meet in the classroom so we wouldn't have to go all the way down to the basement in the room with no windows. But I didn't. I would allow no harm to come to the gold group because of He Sue's song. He Sue's song was the sparkling gem in the gold group. He Sue's song was a Japanese student. She always had pigtails that poked sideways out of her head. She was always smiling all the time, and I don't think I ever heard her speak a word. She was quiet and sweet, and she always carried her books folded in her arms in front of her. She was my very first crush, and we both walked to school, because in the 70s, you walked to school. And my house was about a mile away from the school, but I would always take the long way, about a mile and a half, just so I could go past the route that she walked to school. And I always walked on the opposite side of the street. And as I say that out loud right now, I know that sounds kind of creepy. But I didn't want to shadow her on the way to and from school because I wanted to be around her. I just wanted to make sure that she was safe from strangers. In the mind of a fifth grade autistic psychopath, it was more of an Uncas-Alice Monroe relationship from Last of the Mohicans. And I think on the walk to and from school, she would slow down so I could catch up, and she would always put herself in a position where I could see her. We exchanged a lot of looks, but we never spoke a word to each other, so it was pretty much a perfect relationship. And anytime she ever came up to me, I would forget how to speak English, and I would just run away. Anyway, one of the things that Mrs. Briscoe told our class before she committed suicide was that to write in a book was to love it. And so maybe you want to pick up a hard copy of Ross's book because then you can highlight stuff and mark it up and love it. But it won't love you back, probably. But this isn't an advertisement for his book. The reason I thought of his book because I think it would be interesting to see if all the accounts that he reports on corroborate the quantum echo hypothesis and some of the things that I think happen with the physics of UAP flight. And I thought about writing in the book and referencing it, which made me think of my ex-11th grade honors English teacher who committed suicide, who said to write in a book is to love it. And then I thought, like I thought about the army. You might love the army, but the army doesn't love you back. And I thought, well, this book won't love you back. And then I realized that I don't really like books because it reminds me of the brown group. And then I thought about wanting to murder the gold group and then remembered that I didn't because of He Sue. And then I began to reminisce about He Sue. So then thinking about getting Ross's book was definitely worth my time. Anyway, during this Ross Cuthart interview, Ross said something that really piqued my interest. He said in his experience as an investigative journalist, before you infer a conspiracy theory, infer incompetence. Meaning that if the Navy's been sitting on the UAP task force for so long and the Navy has been tolerating UFOs flying in its airspace for 20 or 30 years, Maybe the reason that they haven't spoken up about it is because they kind of don't know what to do about it. And they don't know what it is. And they don't want anybody to know. They don't know. 
And that's where this new legislation comes in. The Senate gets its way. The new UAP task force that is currently sponsored by the U.S. Navy is going to continue to function. And the Navy's been authorized to spend the funds to provide the reports that the Senate is asking for. But if the House resolution wins the day, then there'll be a new UAP office that reports directly to the Secretary of Defense and might avoid some of the dysfunction and the pressure that the Navy might feel to minimize its ignorance about what's going on in its training areas. And that's okay, I'm not mad at the Navy. It's totally predictable behavior. But that might eliminate some of the perceived reluctance that the government has about disclosing what it may or may not know about the UAP and UFOs. Now remember, this is appropriation legislation. So it's Congress talking about what it's going to permit the executive branch and the military to spend money on. The actual functioning of the office and the staffing of the office and the operations of the office is yet to be determined by the Department of Defense. And the leadership of the UAP Investigation Office is going to be determining the functionality of the office and how it operates in order to accomplish the mission. But in the language of the appropriation in the House's legislation, it does prescribe certain mission objectives that the new office needs to deliver on. Things like developing procedures to synchronize and standardize collection reporting and analysis of incidents regarding unidentified aerial phenomena, developing a centralized repository of this information, procedures to require the timely and consistent reporting of the incidents, evaluating links between unidentified aerial phenomena and adversarial foreign governments or other foreign governments or non-state actors, evaluating the threat that such incidents present to the United States, coordinating with other departments and agencies of the federal government as appropriate, coordinating with allies and partners of the United States as appropriate to better assess the nature and extent of unidentified aerial phenomena. And then there's some reporting requirements too. And over these last six months and after interacting with the great people that are involved in the UFO podcasts and investigations and reporting and all that kind of stuff, I detect that there is some concern about the veracity and the comprehensiveness of the disclosures that this new office may or may not make, and a total dissatisfaction of the way that things have been handled in the past. And so in the Sonic Gravity Gratitude podcast episode, I'm going to tell you how you can form a team and compete to be part of that office and part of that investigating team as a paid government contractor. Because I've seen Luel Zondo's Twitter posts and it's pretty clear to me that he's joined a brand new outfit called Skyfort. And Skyfort is going to compete for these contracts. And I've heard some concern expressed over whether or not Mr. Alizondo is going to maintain his pledge to disclose things and give support and information to the UFO community like they've always wanted. But I've got news for you. Mr. Alizondo wants to keep his security clearance and he wants to keep his contract and there's going to be a statement of work and there are going to be requirements that he's going to have to stick to if he wants to keep his job if he gets the contract. So if you want to know everything, then you got to join the team. But you might not be able to disclose it all because of security issues and things like that, but I'm telling you this so you'll know. Because Lou Alizondo doesn't have a monopoly on UFO information. And it sounds like he's had a pretty rocky relationship with a lot of the folks who might be in charge of cutting the checks and issuing the contracts, so you might be more competitive than you think. So here's how you do it, and here's how you achieve UFO disclosure supremacy. So go on the web and go to the site www.fbo.gov. That is the site that the government, the federal government, has to advertise its contracts on because federal procurement law generally requires 
full and open competition, so everybody gets a chance to have their proposal reviewed when it comes to competing for contracts. Now, one of the things you have to make sure, you gotta make sure your proposal is responsive to the things that are in that solicitation document or in that request for proposal document that you'll find on that site. There are firms that specialize in helping you put together your proposals to be reviewed for these contract awards. And if you're serious about wanting to get big contracts awarded, then you probably want to pay them to consult and help you draft your proposal. But before you get there, there are a couple steps you need to take. You've got to form an organization. Then you've got to get on the site SAM.gov to get a DUNS number assigned and a SAMS number assigned. The DUNS number is going to identify your business in the federal government's contracting system and the SAMS number is going to help you get paid. And it could take a couple weeks to get through that process, so that's not something you want to wait on. Because you don't want to see a contract request for proposals advertised on some disclosure business that you want to participate in and be in the process of waiting for one of these numbers. Now one of the things that's going to make your business extra attractive is to be a woman-owned, minority, disabled veteran business. Those underrepresented groups are looked on favorably by contracting officers. So if you form an organization with this kind of diversity in mind, then you're going to be more competitive for contracts. And there are some set-aside contracts that are for only veteran, women, disabled business owners. And you can find out how to certify your organization as one of those types of organizations on the sba.gov website. And one of the last things you're going to need to worry about is probably getting a security clearance if you don't already have one. Now, there's three levels of DOD security clearance. There's confidential, secret, and top secret. And if you want to get one of these security clearances, then the government is going to have to initiate a security clearance investigation, a background investigation on you. Now, the only people who are authorized to request a security clearance investigation is either the federal government through a sponsoring agency who wants to hire you or think you have a need to know, or a cleared contractor who's hiring an employee who needs to have a security clearance in order to perform work under a contract. And if you're a brand new company, that might kind of seem like a catch-22, but there's something that they call interim clearances. So if you have an organization that has people who don't have a clearance and need to get one to get awarded a contract, then they might agree to allow you to perform that contract under an interim security clearance while they work to clear you. They may grant an interim security clearance as long long as your background doesn't have any red flags at all. Red flags would be like trips to Russia or having a bunch of debt or other things that might make you vulnerable to manipulation, like pictures of Russian hookers peeing on you during the Miss Universe pageant in Moscow. That would probably be disqualifying unless you're the president of the United States. Yeah, just hypothetically speaking, of course. Just saying. But the thing that I think might make any proposal comprised of the UFO community would be the wide diversity of talents and experience and value that it can bring to the table. Imagine the dream team that the UFO community could assemble. The guest list of the Singularity Lab and the Unidentified Celebrity Review would make a compelling team. The legislation says UFO investigation is a critical point of performance. And the Singularity Lab just had Ross Cother. You put him on your team. His experience with contacts and interviews, hundreds of UFO sightings, I mean, that kind of experience would be invaluable. You get engineers and physicists and scientists like Avi Loeb. Maybe you'll get lucky and run across a genius who's a disabled vet, invented pattern of life targeting in Afghanistan, and revealed the mysteries of the universe, including UFO flight, who for 10 years already held a top secret special compartmentalized information security clearance. Maybe. Hypothetically. 
if you're lucky. By the time you assemble your team, create your organization, get your DUNS number and your SAMS number, and start your security clearance process, the one thing that Sonic Gravity will give you, the thing that you will bring that nobody else will have when you go to that contract competition, is your experience orbiting in Sonic Gravity. And having viewed the universe through the eyes of a madman, you will show up to that competition knowing exactly how those Tic Tacs fly, who's flying them, why, and from when in the Navy's training areas, and that is a fact. You already know how they time travel, and you will be able to build a mass reduction device that enables those Tic Tacs to take off like a bullet, corner at 90 degrees, and stop on a dime. And when you win that contract and you enter the office of the new UAP Disclosure Investigation Team, you will know for certain that you have been inside my mind. And having listened to this episode and orbited in my sonic gravity that equipped you with everything you needed to win that contract, and you discover the government secrets that you've all always yearned to know, and you find yourself embarking on investigations in the pursuit of your deepest passion and patriotic duty, then you will know for certain that I am inside your mind too. And that too is a fact. <laughs>